Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I am Mike Brown. No, Matthew is not with me for this because when we did episode 219 originally, we thought it's only going to be one episode, but we got so many people sending in really great stories that we thought we would feature a bunch of them. So Matthew's not here for the intro, but you'll hear him more later on. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. This episode, as promised, is our bonus episode featuring listener stories of their own UFO experiences. Our first story, however, is a little different. It comes to us from listener Petra Bunn, whose father-in-law, Ken Bunn, a Saskatchewan wheat farmer, had an experience one night while driving in the late 1960s. Ken later recorded his experience for his grandchildren, and Petra then shared that tape with Dark Poutine. After we hear from Ken, we'll hear a bit from Petra as she chats about the audio and Ken Bunn. Hello, Carla. And I imagine that Mitchell's there too, and Mummy and Daddy, while I relate to you an incident that I had uh, in observing what... uh, was a UFO, which is an unidentified object. I'm sure you're well aware of that, and you've heard about that in school. Back about 30 years ago, in the late, in the 60s, in the late 60s, it, uh, it was very evident, and there were lots of sightings of queer objects and queer um, um 
well, just objects that people couldn't understand what they were. And word got around that, oh, these were the Martians or somebody from outer space coming down and trying to land on our continent. As you know, it, it could be the up from Mars or some of those other planets. And uh, this was quite evident in that time. And I will explain to you or tell you of an incident that I had of an encounter with, well, something that was strange and it wasn't, so I called it an unidentified object, UFO. <laughs> Your dad will recall to you that at one time I was a wheat pool delegate, which is, means a farmer's representative, and in so doing, I'd go to meetings in the country, different towns. As you know, where I live is in Purdue, about 50 miles west of Saskatoon, and I would go to about four or five different towns surrounding. And this one night in late October, and it was in the fall, I was up at Sunningdale. That's about 30 miles north of Purdue. And when I left the meeting about 11.30, it was a quite a dark night, but the stars were out, but there was no moon. And, of course, I had about 30 miles to drive on a country road, and I came down through Struan, R. Lee, and I was within about 12 miles of Purdue, going straight south on the R. Lee Purdue Road, and I could see the Purdue lights in the distance and the different farm lights, and I had the car radio on. I was all alone, and uh, it was near midnight, and we were getting kind of sleepy, but all of a sudden I noticed as I was going south to my left in the horizon was a... a white light which seemed unfamiliar it was out in the fields but then as i went along it was away up in the air so being curious i turned the radio off and stopped the car in the side of the road and i got out of the car because i thought well this must be an airplane which is very odd at midnight for an airplane a small plane at that to be traveling along but it wasn't. It, if it was an airplane, it would have had a glaring light out ahead of it like a headlight. But what it was was just a big round ball of light. And uh, it, there was no noise. That's the peculiar thing of it. And that's what struck me. That's why I stopped the car's motor. So, and the night was still, not a sound. And here was this object, it was about 200 feet off the ground, and it was about, oh, off to the east of me, about pretty nearly a quarter of a mile, and it was up in the air, of course, as I said, about two or 300 feet, and it was coming from the south, and as I stopped and was out of the car looking at it, it got pretty nearly opposite me and going in a northerly direction. 
and it was just it just looked like a cabin with a light all lit up in there but there was no observations of or i couldn't observe anyone in it it was just uh, just a light but and i tried to look for any uh, structural part of the lights you know you'd think if it was a oh, helicopter or something like that it'd be a landing gear but it was such a dark night and the light was so bright that it just obscured any vision i could get and as i stood there it kept going north and north and then it took in a northwesterly direction across the road further down about two miles north of me and it gradually went out of sight but was heading towards another city north battleford well i didn't well i was curious all right i was going to say i didn't think much of it but i was curious such an odd thing uh, right in the middle of the night to see something like that when i got home the next morning i contacted the news media uh, the paper local paper in saskatoon and the radio station cfqc one of them i forget now which was sent out a reporter to me and i recounted the incident and uh, oh it was in the paper and they discussed it a bit but as i said there was other sightings of various odd sightings of and they were all different at that time so it just went on and i never heard anything more about it and i haven't dug into it since then i've just let it go but now that you have asked me for about it well i have ex i've done my best to try and explain i still think in my own mind that it was an unidentified object ufo uh, how else can you account for something strange in the middle of the night like that so i hope that this uh, will uh, <clears throat> help you and you know you can take it to your school and tell your classmates or your teachers and it'll just be another curiosity but it is something that i actually saw that was different so with that carla thanks a lot for asking me to explain my vision of a ufo and i hope that in the future not in my time but in yours and mitchell's time that maybe you will be able to solve or see these mysteries solved i'm sure that in your lifetime you will see these mysteries solved whether it's somebody from mars or martians as they call them or some other planet uh, well i'll never know but i hope that you people will find out through your studies so with that i like to say thank you for asking me to do this bye bye let's talk a little bit about ken bunn because i'm super interested in this guy <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> Can yeah. you tell me a little bit about Ken and what kind of guy that he was? Yeah, okay. So um, Ken is my father-in-law, mm-hmm. and um, he uh, was a wheat farmer in uh, Saskatchewan. So he and his wife uh, had uh, four children, and um, Alan, my husband, is, is uh, the youngest of the four. Um, so um, when uh, he was farming, he was also involved in the Saskatchewan Wheat Board, and so he was kind of um, a, a business, businessman as well, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like he was, um, uh, my husband was saying in his younger years, he was, uh, you know, fairly serious, like um, a little quieter. And as he got older and was getting closer to retirement, he he was more uh, outgoing and mm-hmm. um, friendly and jovial and you know telling stories and things like that so um when this incident happened to him it was right in the time where you know he was uh the businessman sort of and so uh, my husband at that time he was about 10 years old um when uh you know uh he his dad was talking to a newspaper there in Saskatoon about this uh, UFO sighting, and uh, he remembered like that his mom was kind of um, she was concerned that people would consider him a kook, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. talking about UFO sightings and stuff like that. So uh, she always kind of wanted him to kind of downplay it, but uh, he he did tell everybody um, about it, and he wasn't worried that uh, he would, you know, he himself wasn't worried that he would be uh, looked at as crazy or anything like that, you know. And so he he just went ahead and told people, uh, you know, the uh, the story of what happened, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, my husband remembers seeing an article in the newspaper there, and I did try to look for it, but I couldn't find it. And he looked through some records that he had, and he couldn't find it either. And he contacted his uh, brother and uh, two sisters, and they didn't know uh, where it was either. So I wasn't able to get that for you, which is too bad. Well, but that's okay. I, I did have the tape, so I knew where that was. <laughs> Well, how did this tape come about? Like he mentions, I think he's mentioning children's names. Is it his grandchildren that he made the tape yeah, for? Yeah, my, my two children. Oh, yeah. That's, that's so very sweet. Happened? Oh, yeah, I know, I know. He was, he was a great uh, grandfather uh, to them, like uh, very friendly and curious about what they're doing and how they were doing in school and things like that. And so th- I think this is how this came about is that uh, like we were living in Calgary at the time, and he, of course, uh, was living in Purdue, Saskatchewan. So they would come and visit, um, and quite often on their way out to um, the coast, which is where they tried to spend uh, winters to get away from the snow out there, you know, in Saskatchewan and whatnot. So they would stop in, and uh, he would always say, well, you know, how school and what are you learning and things like that. And so... My uh, daughter said, oh, uh, we're learning about outer space and UFOs. And um, so (laughs) he just came out with it. He said, well, I saw a UFO once. 
Oh. And of course, everyone is just like, this is the first that I'd heard of it. Of course, <laughs> my husband remembered from, you know, when he was 10 and whatnot. And of course, his wife kind of kind of rolled her eyes a little bit again. But, uh, you know, um, I said, oh, my God, really? That is so exciting, you know, because I'm a believer, you see. So I was interested in what he had to say. Uh, so I asked him, I said, well, when you get home, would you be able to record um, everything that you n- know of and saw? Uh, and then I will uh, have um, my daughter take it to her class so that they can listen to it in class, which is what happened. He uh, he had gone home, and a week later or so, I got this uh, cassette tape in the mail, and uh, we listened to it, and I thought, well, that's pretty darn cool. And so I sent it along with her, and her, her class listened to it, and they thought that was pretty awesome, too. And uh, so I just put it away. I've, I've you know, I, I, I just uh, kept it with where I have all my picture albums and stuff like that, so I knew exactly where it was. Well, he said it happened uh, around the, the late 60s, you think? That's right. Okay. In, in October, okay. I believe. Yeah, in October, and um, I, I, listening to the cassette tape, um, I heard him say that there had been a lot of sightings of UFOs around that time, and so that piqued my interest again. I got on the internet, and I kind of Googled some things. I found a whole bunch, you know, and so... Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not surprised that you know he he actually did see something. He's he's not the kind to um, try to draw attention to himself or make up stories or anything. He's just a really solid guy, yeah. you know. And uh, and so I I just thoroughly do believe that he saw something for sure. I think ninety nine percent of the people are actually honest that they feel that they saw something. I really mm-hmm. do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, I, there's probably the odd person who's just making something up, but yeah. they saw something and right. whatever that is, is whatever it was, but they saw something. Thank you again, though, for sharing Ken's story. He would be very proud to know though, that, you know, um, somebody's, uh, yeah, looking at it and doing something with it. And I think he'd be very proud of that. Did you not just fall for that guy from the first sentence? I want him to be my grandpa. Like everybody <laughs> wants someone like that to be yeah, their grandpa. I want him to be my grandpa. What a sweetheart. Yeah. And what a super interesting story. Yeah. You and know? again, he's he's not saying, ooh, it was aliens. He's like, he's explaining what he saw. And it was a fun thing that happened to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This is the thing. And this is why I think we should be really careful with who we make fun of in regard to these things, because some people are describing exactly what they saw. They're not making something up. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference between somebody like Grandpa Mm -hmm. and somebody who's like, you know, they were green men and they, you know, did this. Yeah. It's like, come on. Now, this is, you know, you can, you know, that story is very believable. Yeah. Not saying what it was. He just, he saw what he saw. Well, there are there are people who claim to have had encounters that, you know, maybe there is something in the consciousness that's happening. I don't know. Like, it's it, there's all kinds of fascinating things. But I do have trouble with the close encounter of, I think it's the fourth kind. I do have troubles with 
the close encounters that involved, I met a person from outer space. Yeah. I have trouble with that. I struggle with those. But I don't want to paint everybody who claims they've seen uh, a UFO with that brush. Of course not. Yeah. So next up, we will hear from listener Ryan D. as he tells us about his experience. Let's listen in. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Ryan is here and has agreed to share a couple of short stories about possible encounters with UFOs. So, Ryan, welcome. Having me. This is uh, this is exciting and weird at the same time. <laughs> Tell me about the first experience you had. Like, how old were you? Where was it? All that kind of thing. Right, right. Okay, so I was born in Montreal. But I grew up in a town called uh, St. Andrew Savoie. It's about 40 minutes outside of Montreal. Um, if you, it's on Route 133. If you go south, you're going to hit the American border and you can cross the border and go into the United States. Mm -hmm. If you head north from Savoie, uh, you're going to hit St. Jean sur Richelieu. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a big military college there um, and there's a big military base. Um, and I went to school there. Um, but ultimately, I lived in uh, Savoie, where my two stories take place. Um, <clears throat> so like I said, highway, Route 133, and that's where our house was on. It was like a, a farmhouse. It was an old farm. We didn't do any farming. Everything around there was basically cornfields and dairy farms. Um, my first story takes place somewhere between I'm like eight and nine years old and so that would be 1981 or 1982 I was born in 1974 um, I'm 47 now um, <clears throat> so what I recall is that um, I, it was at night I was sleeping and I woke up and the air felt like sort of static like electricity that's how it sort of sort of felt to me like so it was just a buzz in the air and it kind of you know i was a kid like i said eight or nine and i was sort of like not disturbed by it but i was just sort of you know waking up hazy and like this feeling and i decided i was going to go down uh it was a two-story house i was going to go downstairs and sleep um on the couch like i was just gonna go down there and it, it's gonna make me feel comfortable or whatever um and like i said i had this sensation of the static electricity in the air um so i go down to the living room and we had a big l-shaped couch and i sort of just slept in the crutch of the the corner of the l-shaped couch and if you lie down there i could look out the living room and see the front door of our house um <clears throat> all along side of the house was like big farm windows and because we were right beside the highway you could hear transport trucks and mm -hmm. cars and everything whizzing by all night long you know mm. um <clears throat> so i fall asleep i just i get there I grab my blanket and I fall asleep. And then at some point I wake up because we had a family dog named Tuffy. Um, it was like a 
a border collie crossed with something else. Like I think a German Shepherd or something like that. It, she was a mix, but good dog. Um, <clears throat> she woke me up because she laid her head on my arm as I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of woke up and I was just like, oh, the dog's like looking for attention or something like that. And I kind of put my hand on her head and just started, you know, petting her a little bit as I drifted back off to sleep. Um, <clears throat> wasn't going anywhere. She was just sitting there with me. And I looked, I woke up again at some point and I could see lights going by the windows of my house, but I couldn't. I didn't hear anything. My recollection was I couldn't hear any sounds of like a transport truck or a car. And literally the highway is like maybe 300 yards away. It's not that far. Um, And then I drift off to sleep again. And I open my eyes at one point and it's dark. There's no lights on in the house. Mm Mm-hmm. And I look outside my living room and I recollect as I saw maybe three or four shadowy shapes, shadowy shapes. (laughs) I couldn't make out what they were. My dog was still with me. It just seemed really weird. That same staticky feel was in the air. And I was like eight or nine years old. I like, I just grabbed my blanket and pulled it over my head because oh, wow. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what I'm seeing here. And everything seems weird, you know, like I'm mm-hmm. just a kid, you know, um, and I drifted off to sleep. And that was my first experience that I had um, the next day. I spoke to my mother and my father because they were like why are you sleeping on the couch yeah and i said i was having this weird feeling i went down to the couch tuffy our dog was acting a little bit weird like she was just there with me um not that you know she wouldn't come around for attention but it was just the whole situation was very odd and uh, my dad, who's kind of a skeptic like me, even to this day, uh, kind of dismissed my story. Mm-hmm. as just, yeah, okay, you had a dream or something like that. Um, my mom was a little more intrigued. Um, she listened to my story. And that's as far as that went. And that's, that's my first thing. And, I mean, <clears throat> I, I've always questioned these stories myself. Like, right, yeah. Was it sleep paralysis or was I dreaming or it didn't feel like a dream it could have been lucid dreaming it just it felt very very real and so that's my first story I can move on to the second if you'd like (laughs) if you have any questions (laughs) let's move on to the second one so how old were you then I was I believe I was about 12 years old 12 or 13 so it would have been 85 or 86 you know it was just such a long time ago i can't remember the exact Mm -hmm. time frame um but i was older and um i remember that just because at that point uh, my parents would have me babysit my brother so they could go out and have an evening on a night on the town kind of thing um 
And, you know, back in 85 and 86, you'd let your 12-year-old just yeah, totally. <laughs> take care of your kids. Yeah, exactly. Out, you know? Plus, we lived in a rural community. There was nobody, you know, coming by or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> so my parents went out for a night on the town. And I was, you know, got to stay home. I probably had a TV dinner or something like that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, got my brother to bed. Um, it was starting to get later. It was dark out. <clears throat> I was in the family living room again. Um, and I remember the lights were on in the house, like in, a, in the living room and out in the kitchen. And I was sitting, lying in the exact same place that I just described in the first story. Like, because it was just, that was the couch. And, you know, it was the spot my dad usually took, but he's not there. So I'm <laughs> in that spot. And I've got the television remote. And I'm watching TV, you know, it's like I said, 85, 86, and um, it's starting to get late. And I remember Johnny Carson being on. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was watching the Johnny Carson show um, <clears throat> and I drifted off to sleep. Um, and then I woke up at some point and this is like I said, this is where the parallel is. Like there was this static electricity in the air, this energy. I just didn't understand. It just it was it vibed. And I was looking, I woke up and I was looking at the TV and the TV was still on. I, I don't even remember if it was Johnny Carson on at that point anymore, but something was on the TV. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, with that static electricity, there was almost like a blur in the air. And because I, I say that in the second story is because the lights were on in the house and in the living room and outside of the living room, mm -hmm. which they weren't in, in my first story. So when I woke up in this instance, I had that same sensation and everything just seemed to be hazy, like like there was a filter over my eyes. Oh, weird. You know, I could, I could see mm -hmm. the electricity felt to be like, just vibrating and it was making things fuzzy around me um and as i opened my eyes like i said i could see the front door of our house and the front door of our house had windows on it as well and i could see lights outside of the front door and so we had a driveway that led up to the front door and in my brain at the moment i was like my parents must be home like right. it's the car lights they've sure. just pulled into the thing you know and i've just woken up um <clears throat> so i get up to the front door because i just want to peer out the window and i expect to see my parents there mm -hmm. and what i see is two lights i was just like what are those like i didn't <laughs> understand my brain wasn't comprehending what i was seeing so i open the front door like look out these two lights north away from my property sort of get over top of the cornfield that's like adjacent to our property and uh, we didn't own that cornfield it was owned by somebody else and the lights start to head west hmm. so i run to the back door where we had a patio door and i open up the patio door and i look out it and i see these two lights that are just whizzing over this cornfield and the cornfield goes for a good probably a quarter mile or something like that three quarters okay. of a mile and then they just shoot up into the sky and they disappear and 
I don't, you know, I don't see them anymore. Oddly enough is I go back into the house and my last recollection was I woke up um, in my bedroom. I was laying halfway in my bedroom oh, and halfway out of my bedroom. Mm. And I don't remember how I got there. And I don't remember anything that happened in between that time. I saw those lights shoot up into the sky. And then I closed the door and went back into the house. I don't have a recollection of what took place there. It's, and that's basically it. Like, it's odd. I, <laughs> I, it's very vivid type of stuff. I, I, I'll say I'm a skeptic. I, I, I doubt my own memories at times. Sure. But I've, I've told my wife these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, like I said, I told my mother and father. These stories, my, like I said, my dad was really big skeptic. He didn't really believe anything I was saying. Um, I, I don't have it. They so vivid. Mm. They felt so real that it's just hard to dismiss them as dreams or paralysis or something like that. Like I, you know, it sure. could be like. I wasn't, you know, on drugs or alcohol or anything like that. I was just a kid. So, I think that's it. That's my stories. I I don't know if they uh, intrigued you or... (laughs) I've never felt that energy thing ever again, like in Mm -hmm. my life. I've never had that sensation of that electric static in the air. And an interesting point is, I don't know if you know, but... Um, back in the nineties, I, I think it might've been unsolved mysteries or yeah. one of those parallel sort of type shows. Yeah. But, um, if you look up Saint-Jean-Sur-Richelieu, there have oh. been like UFO sightings going back like to the sixties and seventies. Oh, and wow. it's just kind of really interesting because it seems like there's a lot of activity around there. And like when I, you know, like I said, there's a, with a military base and their stuff like that. It just makes, you know, I don't know. It's, it's very X-Files-y, but it just makes me go like, what's going on in that region for these types of things to be happening? Is it us doing experiments? Is it the government doing experiments or is something poking around? Yeah, exactly. Like, who knows, right? <laughs> Thanks for talking to me. Cool. I really appreciate it. There's so many Canadian folks who have really, really good stories. and Totally. And like I say, the, our American friends tend to drown us out. So it's, it's good to hear Canadian ones. Wow, another interesting account. Let's take a break right here, and when we come back, we'll hear from Sarah and Stephanie about their experiences. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So first up, we're going to hear from our listener, Stephanie D. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell me where you're from? Sure. 
my name is Stephanie Dubay, and I live in Amherstburg, Ontario. Oh, cool. And where did what happened to you happen? It took place in Windsor, Ontario, which is just across the river from Detroit, Michigan. Awesome. Can you tell us a bit about it? You said it's a short story, so let's hear it. Okay. So uh, at the time, I was a security supervisor, uh, and I worked the midnight shift. And I arrived at uh, a haunted um, church. That's another story. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was I was getting the keys out. It was approximately 1 o'clock, quarter after 1 in the morning, because that was the time that I, I did my regular patrol at this particular site. And I was in the trunk getting the keys out. And I just had this weird feeling to look behind me and look up. And then all of a sudden, there was this huge diamond-shaped thing right above the church and just above uh, the trees. And it took up the whole sky. Um, There was no clouds in the sky, you know, and and I was sort of off to the edge of, of Windsor. So it was a dark area. But um, it's really hard to to explain what it was. I mean, I wasn't scared. I wasn't, you know, shaking or anything, but I was just in awe. And uh, the color of it was um, a different shade than, than the night sky. Mm-hmm. It was uh, kind of shiny, but not really. And it looked like a, like a black stone, kind of. Um, and part of me wants to say there was lights, but other parts, say that there wasn't because I, I still at this point was like I don't know what the heck I'm looking at it made no noise at all there's an airport in Windsor and with the the Detroit uh you know airport uh, across the border you see planes all the time and you're used to that kind of stuff but there was literally no sound or, or anything at all and like I said it took up the whole sky uh and it just appeared out of nowhere and then I watched it for a couple of seconds and then it it just disappeared again and I just went on with my business. I wasn't scared or, or anything. And there was no, there was no feeling of, of fear or, or whatever. And I never talked to anybody about it afterwards. Cause I was just like, I, I, did I really see that? I've had similar kind of things happen to me when I used to work security. I, I did the same things. And then I, I, I had a, a, a guy that night and another guard about two hours later, he called me up and, and he says, uh, can you stop by my site? And I'm like, okay. And it was about 20 minutes, you know, from, from where I was to where he was. Mm-hmm. And he, he, uh, he said to me, you're going to think I'm crazy. And I said, what, why is that? He says, I think I saw a UFO tonight. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did too. And we just left it at that. We didn't talk about it. <laughs> you guys didn't even <laughs> no. like break it down what each other had nope. seen? Nope. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, that was pretty bonkers. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Absolutely. And, and, it's like, I can still see it right now. You know, mm-hmm. I, re- I really can. And that was back in 2016. And uh, like I said, I never really talked to anybody about it. And it's not that I want, I think people think I'm, I'm crazy or whatever. It's right. Just, yeah. It's, you know, but like I said, there was no, no feeling of being scared or anything, but it was pretty awesome. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> so when it disappeared, did it kind of just. It just glided, just away and then and there was enough space where because Windsor is flat like there's Mm -hmm. you know there's no hills or or anything like that and there were no trees or big buildings around it literally just glided off and then by the time it it had cleared the area where I was it was just gone I couldn't see it and and like I said when it when it came in it did sort of the same thing so uh, um, 
and I mean, I could have, you can see from miles here. So I, if it would have been a plane or something, I would have thought, you know, I would have thought coming and, and carry right on. Right. But Sure. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for telling us your stories here and you'll hear it next week when I release on Monday. Okay. Well, I hope, uh, I hope you're able to use it and, uh, keep up the good work. We really enjoy, uh, we really enjoy listening to your uh, podcast. What's your daughter's name? Caitlin Mueller. Caitlin. Okay. Well, tell Caitlin I said hello and thank you so much for I uh, will. for her prompting you to tell your story. Yeah, not a problem. Okay. Lastly, we're going to hear from Sarah. So can you tell me just a wee bit about yourself? I know you want to remain anonymous, so we'll just refer to you by Sarah, but you are in Ontario. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. I, uh, I live in the Hamilton area in a little valley town and anyone familiar with with uh like it'll be easy to tell where i'm from which is fine living in a little valley town okay. in the suburbs of hamilton yeah so how did you get interested in this topic i mean everybody as a kid sort of has an interest but yeah you know what i i didn't have like i wasn't head on into it until uh i had a, a sighting and um like i loved watching like the x-files when i was a teenager mm-hmm um but um i just kind of took it for what it was at that point entertainment and stuff and um what kind of spiked my interest was when in december of 2006 i had a very strange sighting and experience and that kind of i fell down the rabbit hole trying to get answers of course yeah i i would have too yeah so set us up. Where were you? What did you see? And what went on? Okay, sure. Um, so the house that I was living in at the time had a, a really nice view. We had a walkout and um, you could see like the valley uh, that I live in is nestled in between two like sets of escarpments. And my view I had, I was right by one side and then off in the distance, you could see like the steel plant and you could see the Skyway Bridge and it was just unobstructed. So I had a vast view and um, I had put my then two-year-old daughter to sleep. My husband at the time was playing uh, a hockey league at night and I was facing our windows that backed out onto this really nice view. And um our TV was to the left and I had our curtains were open. It was, I don't remember the time, but it was dark out. And I, I had this like feeling that I just needed to look out the window. I can't describe it any other way than I just needed to look out the window. And when I did, I saw, um, I observed a a really bright circular light Mm -hmm. with three rotating lights on the side of it. And I was like pretty transfixed is the word that I would use and okay. transfixed. And then what, what was the really, what was strange was I could he- hear something like it was like, there was something in my mind when I was seeing this as well. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it was like a, if you could make musical language somehow, if that makes sense, I know it doesn't, but there were three repeating words in different like octaves in almost in like a mechanical way. And the three words were, um, this is 
the three words were, um, we are here. And it, and it just kept looping like it was in a loop. And I just sat staring at this, hearing it like in my mind, like there wasn't an actual sound. I was just hearing this in my mind. So, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. So you weren't drinking, you're not a drug user or not anything. at all. No. <laughs> so nothing. I'm in the care of my, like my daughter's asleep. I'm expecting my husband home a few hours later. I'm just, I'm watching this and I'm having, and it's almost like an, it, like you just ex- describe it. Like it sounds so out, out of like, it's not normal what's happening and yet you're I'm kind of at the same time acting normal I'm like I'm going to pick up my phone because my next door neighbor was a pilot and I was like I'm going to get him to see what this is Mm -hmm. so I went to use my my phone and it wouldn't work and I went to call my husband at work and it wouldn't work Mm. so my phones wouldn't work and then it all of a sudden just like it vanished and so I was I was like I'm going to go to bed. What, what else? Which seems weird when you've had this extraordinary thing that you're just <laughs> going to carry on with a normal life activity. But I went to bed and then I woke up, um, I don't know, a couple hours later to my husband running up the stairs, whipping our um, slatted blinds opening, freaking out. And he was like, what is that? What is that? Get up. What is that? And when he opened the blinds, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lights coming from like the sky was dark and and it was a clear night, but Mm -hmm. these lights were coming down to the ground and the sky was, it was like somebody put a cook, like a cookie. Um, I don't know, like if you were going to like, it was just this shape that was the sky was all black where the lights were coming down and then there were stars on the outside of that like there was a a void space and so we watched this for some time and and we were both really like shaken by it and we went downstairs and tried to take a picture with the camera and what showed up on the camera was different than what we were observing Mm -hmm. the camera picture came out with all these like red flashy lines it was almost like it wasn't working it was like these red laser like things and then so we might have watched I don't know the the period of time but then they just all of a sudden vanished and when I say like hundreds like it's a it's a huge area that we that we watched which shocked me because I was like I are these all source life like what's happening and everything and so Mm -hmm. we didn't sleep that much that night and the next morning I was like everyone and their mother in the city has seen this so it's gonna be on the news like something's gonna be on the news and nothing and I thought okay well I need to figure out what what had happened and so I had called the the Hamilton police and I said did you guys have any searchlights like did anyone report anything in the sky like this is what I saw um I googled online like where would you report things that you don't understand that you've seen I didn't share with anyone that experience of hearing that like I had told people that there was a bright light a few hours earlier but it's really people really tend to think you're crazy when Mm -hmm. you have like interaction somehow yeah a sensory thing like it's yeah it's still um really kind of taboo even in like the UFO community, I guess. Um, and so I came across SICAN, which at that time was Paranormal Studies Investigations Canada. 
mm-hmm. and they had a bunch of volunteers that would look into all subjects like cryptozoology I found out and ghosts and hauntings and UFOs and so I wrote in and contacted someone and just said this is what I saw I'm going to try and figure it out and I the Hamilton police called back and told my husband not to let his wife look up in the sky anymore no, so no. that was pretty embarrassing yep not very validating at all and uh, even though I wasn't screaming at the top of my lungs, like, I've seen this UFO, there's everything. Like, I was really perplexed, I thought it. And then so then I started doing my own, like, what can I, what can I eliminate on my own mm-hmm. investigation or looking into it? And so I contacted an atmospheric weather group and sat in on some of their sessions. Like, maybe I saw something totally natural and, you know, and I described what I saw to several people there and they said it, it wasn't like light pillars could have been an explanation for the lights in the sky, but it, it it doesn't explain how my husband would have seen them traveling because you have to be at a certain static point to observe them. And mm-hmm. so um, I called the Hamilton airport to see if there was any aircraft going along and actually ended up making a, a really solid connection with one of their controllers there who helped me in later years when I was looking into things a little bit more as I can. Um, and to this day, I don't know, I don't know what it was or what I experienced, but it was, um, it really affected me. Uh, yeah. As time went by, my husband, husband just kind of shook it off. It was, that was weird, but whatever kind of life goes on. Mm-hmm. I was really, really, it's through my understanding of like what what could be possible. It really impacted me. I would definitely have that same reaction, and probably your experience from earlier in that same evening is is what brought it home even harder for you. I've heard that before, like uh, people having that those repeated three words. Really? Yeah, this isn't the first time that I've heard that, and I can't recall exactly where I've read it or seen that, but it isn't the first time that I have heard of somebody uh, hearing the words, we are here in some way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I was trying to figure out what it was, and I I had been communicating with, with somebody who's now a dear friend who was heavily involved in researching the topic. I mean, as much research as you can do, right? Because mm-hmm. essentially, you're just looking to eliminate natural or man-made causes. Like, anyone that like, I don't know how you can define something that's unknown or unexplained unless you find an identified right. flying object. Right, exactly. Um, and so because I was so dogged in this pursuit, um, this person that I have become quite good friends with, this researcher, she had said, I get so many of these reports. Um, can you help with some Southern Ontario ones and just do it? We have a sheet. You look for location, intersection, what you know what they saw and you document that way and then you just do the best you can to figure out what these Mm -hmm. objects are and sometimes i was able to do that like i was able to say okay this is where a model a model plane club was flying one day and this is why they had one day and and so i was able to do that on a few things and then there are other ones where i just you know um didn't have that uh, that opportunity to to do that but i did that for for some years and it was really really interesting because there's so many reports there's so many i just focused on southern ontario because that's where i would get the reports from but 
In the email that you sent me, you mentioned that you had another episode or another uh, incident uh, two months after. Yeah, talk about that. So in February of 2007, again, it was another um, night that my husband had a um, uh, a hockey game in the men's league at night, and I had put my daughter to bed, and I fell asleep, and then I woke up like a bolt of lightning and it felt like I you know if you've had a million cups of caffeine you know how you just feel like you're vibrating like you mm-hmm. can just do whatever like yep. I bolted out of bed with that feeling and I, I felt like I needed to go check on my daughter and I did and she was okay and I went downstairs and it was that same feeling like you need to look outside right now and I looked mm-hmm. outside and there was a bright circular circular light that was moving in a very erratic fashion and we have a lot of flight because we're close to mount hope the airport Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm aware of what like airplane lights look like and this was very big um it was not an air and there there weren't any flashing lights this time it was just moving in these really erratic fast-paced um fashion and then I watched it just shoot up and then it disappeared. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to email myself and this friend researcher I know through Psycan so I can prove to myself I'm not sleeping. Like yeah. I'm awake. This wasn't a yeah. dream. I've, I, this is what I've observed. And I sent that off. And the next morning she contacted me and said, not only did you see something, but we've had reports from Southern Ontario and she's connected with people in the States and they had reports in I don't know, um, but they were all along like the eastern part of the seaboard, and um, she had found out that like the Phoenix lights happened years and years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a little a, another blip that same night, so um, I found that a little bit. I wasn't the only one. <laughs> Like I was yeah. starting to question my sanity at this point, right? Sure. Like what yeah. is even happening? And uh, yeah, that's what happening. But I literally, I did not sleep at all that night. I was, I was like, like I had those hundred cups of coffee. Like, yeah. Just even, it was just, it was like a, you just had so much energy, like this vibrate. I wasn't tired. It was just, it was really strange. So, um, yeah, it was. Those would be the two in, in quite a close period of time. By this point in the episode, I haven't told my own story, so maybe I'll just tell it to you what I saw. Yeah. Some friends and I, we decided we would go steal strawberries from a local strawberry patch when I was a little <laughs> kid. Uh, I, I guess not a little kid. We were probably uh, 14 or 15 years old. And we decided, yeah, let's go to this strawberry patch and, and take some strawberries in the middle of the night. You know, we'd take a couple of handfuls. It wasn't like we were uh, thieving the whole patch or anything like that. But oh yeah, while we were out there, it was a clear, beautiful summer night, probably July because the strawberries were out. And I looked up in the sky and I saw these two lights coming toward each other. And uh, they didn't quite meet, but they spun around each other in a circular way and then went in totally different directions than either of them had come from. Oh, wow. My other friend there saw it and the other guy did not. You know, there's three of us there, but two of us saw it. And it's like, what the heck was that? 
And, uh, wow. you know, we, we, we had a bit of a conversation among ourselves, but we're kids, right? We were like, I don't know. <laughs> was it, I don't know what it was to this day. I didn't ever report it or anything like that. And I haven't looked into any kind of possibilities of from that, that time. But I know that I saw something moving in the sky, bright lights moving in the sky in a way that it wasn't a satellite traveling across the sky. I know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, wasn't anything like that. It was these two lights coming at, at speed toward each other, spinning around each other, like in almost a perfect circle and then taking off in completely different directions. It was very, very weird. Wow. And to this day, I just, I re, I can recall that just like it was yesterday. Uh, it, but, you know, my experience wasn't obviously as as frightening maybe as yours were, was. Did you feel really frightened? You said you just went to bed, which is interesting. You know, it is. I, I felt, I was like, how could I have experienced this and just went to bed? Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, that's not uncommon. The right. more people that I have uh, spoken to. Um, and... Like when I say speak to, I don't speak to anyone. I'm actually not even in my house right now. I, yeah. I like I don't speak to to people about this because it's just so there's that stigma, right? And right. Um, yeah. but in the like the circle or when I would get those reports to look into, um, or even trying to do my own little like make sense of things, it's oddly not uncommon to just kind of carry on. It's almost like you're just snap back to something and you just. Mm-hmm. I need to make sense. I just need to carry on with life. I wasn't, I don't think I was frightened I of the actual sighting. I was just like my core beliefs of like science and what it could, was, was shaken because to, to see that and experience that a, you know, you kind of question your sanity a little bit. And then B, if you come to the conclusion that you're, crazy then you have to deal with that right or but if you come to the conclusion that no i'm not like i i i'm actually not and this is something that i've experienced what does that mean rather than telling people you're crazy let's look into what that experience means to them we don't have to even determine what it was but uh, what kind of meaning does that have to you it's like the whole dmt experience with uh, yes. people seeing certain things and everybody who takes that particular drug sort of sees the same thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So what is it about consciousness? Is it something uh, quantum or or what is going on? So it's really fascinating, like you say, a fascinating rabbit hole. It is, and you hit it on the head. Like that, for my experience, that led me into really looking into, I had, had been interested in consciousness, um, but that really, I did a lot of, research and look and and looking and and work on what that looks like and how our individual consciousness may impact like uh like from a sociological perspective what does something mean to someone what does something mean to a community what does something mean to and there's some really fascinating research done on parapsychology and ufos from a sociological Mm -hmm. perspective and it's really fascinating and that's that's where i i have uh that's where i've been recently i don't necessarily think about my experience often other than um you know something that happened and i don't speak about it 
much mm-hmm. at all to anyone actually because it is sure. so um yeah it's still like, kind of seen as out there well cuz people are going to say did sarah have a psychotic break at some For point sure. <laughs> you know those are those are real reactions to this yeah. kind of thing so and and it's why i mentioned things the way i did in the first episode about stigma around a reporting and, and that kind of stuff, because people are afraid that people are going to think they're nuts. And there are not a lot of opportunities to, like, you know, I I only know uh, when we were receiving reports, when I was looking into quite a few, you would, in the later years I was doing it, we would get reports coming from all walks of life, and there would be sightings where you would mm-hmm. see it, and then you would get increasingly more where there's an experience to it whether it was um, some people observed a light in the sky and then they'd think of a shape or a shape would come into their mind and that, that object would do that. It would mimic what they were thinking. And right. I had people from all, like from various walks of life that you would think, not that you would need to, that would be really like well-respected and renowned, like that they wouldn't make these things up. Not that anyone would, but when you think, okay, well, if a first responder reported that I might, believe it a little bit more because they have to use critical thinking and observational skills all the time or somebody from the military and and there's a lot of people out there from those walks of life and others that have had the same experience and they just need people to listen and there's not a lot of space for that like there's not mm-hmm. I would say there's not a lot of, of things so I really appreciate you giving voice to to this and it just makes it like it's takes away some of the stigma and feeling alone or weird or, you know, like you're doing a really wonderful thing, especially for people who have experienced anything like this. So I think that's awesome. Well, thank you very much. And that's a perfect note to end on a compliment to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well deserved. Well deserved. There there you go. Uh, Okay. So thank you so much, Sarah, for doing this with me. You're so welcome. So there are some stories from our listeners. Holy crap. Uh, It's interesting that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are just regular folks who think they've seen something and had experiences. Um, Like I say, like like I've said earlier in the episode, it's not up to me to say whether or not these people are telling the truth. Uh, It's not up to me to determine, you know, anything about the veracity of these sightings. It's just interesting to hear what people's experiences are. Yeah. 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 People saw things. Exactly. Like, I could really do, like I mentioned in the first episode, uh, entire uh, show. an entire show just based on UFOs in Canada because there is so much information out there. So to close this show, Matthew and I got to do something super, super fun, which was go to the back gate of Area 51. First, we visited Rachel, Nevada, mm-hmm. uh, which is the town that is, I wouldn't call it a town, it's a village. Hamlet a hamlet that is closest to Area 51. And later, we traveled down a dirt road that all of a sudden became paved as we got closer to the uh, military installation, which was fascinating. 
actually, we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, so we went to CrimeCon, and Matthew and I decided uh, in the first the first day because we're working on this UFOs thing. We're so close to Area Fifty One. Let's rent a car and go for a drive. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to get out of the casino. It was really nice to get out of the casino because no matter if you're inside or outside in Vegas, you're always in Vegas. Yeah, the strip, yeah. it's like one big casino slash shopping mall. Even when you're outside, you feel like you're inside. It's like an adult theme park. Yeah. Is what it's like. And yeah. it was just like, I was so worn out by Vegas. It's just, it's overly stimulating. Mm -hmm. It really yeah. is. So we escaped to the desert and it was a beautiful drive. So it was a great drive. We headed out, headed north toward... Uh, uh, Highway number 375, you, which is... you didn't listen to me when I said we should get some gas for the car? Yeah, I didn't listen. <laughs> and we <laughs> literally, I think, glided into the first gas station. That so... <laughs> like, like the engine stopped and like the car just sort of glid, glided yeah, yeah. right to the, the, the petrol pump. Yeah, so... And that's the thing. Like we, we Googled while we were on the way, how far away it was. And we were like talking about like, oh my God, are we close? Are we close? And I was so obsessed with it. I didn't see pretty much anything on the highway other than, okay, there's so many kilometers left and so many kilometers left I was left looking for boreholes for water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and we, even we even shut off the air conditioning in the middle of the desert so we didn't use as much gas. Yeah, it was crazy. So when we pulled in, I worked it out. It had the car had eight kilometers left to go before it would have been dead out of gas. Yeah, we didn't really go out, but it felt like we were going yeah, in there. We were really, it was craziness. Yeah, it was really not good. So when you see a sign that says there's no gas for 70 miles, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And you, if you only have a quarter of a tank of gas, you should probably get some. Yeah, well, it would have been good if the um, car rental company had actually filled the tank for us. Well, they didn't. Yeah. Isn't that what they're supposed to do? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't fill it. And they were an hour late with the car. They were. But I didn't fill it uh, up for them either. So we gave it back to them in exactly the same state. Yeah. Although it was a really dirty car. <laughs> all the dust. All the dust. But uh, so we head to Rachel. We got our gas. Probably we're about 20 minutes away from our destination. Yeah. So we get our gas. And our first stop along the extraterrestrial highway is the black mailbox. You've got mail. Yeah. And so the black mailbox is a place. I don't know what the mailbox is for, but it's a place where people leave mail for the aliens, which is really, really fascinating. And um, I, I was... Uh, we, you open up the black mailbox. Matthew and I took pictures and of guys, each other. And guys, the black mailbox is literally in the middle of nowhere. Like you're, you're driving down this road. There's no building around it. It's just yeah. this black mailbox box by the side of the road. By the side of the road and another road which leads into Area 51. Total, total dirt road. Yeah. So we didn't follow that one because uh, that one is not only a drive of miles, then there's a walk after that yeah. to get to outside area 51 where you can look down on top of it mm -hmm. and i thought that's probably not the best thing for us to do because we don't have any water or anything like that so i didn't want to do that but when you open up the black mailbox people have left all these kind of cool things in there like there's stickers everywhere everybody puts their stickers i didn't have any dark routine stickers with us so it was like a little bit of a drag 
Oh, but I did. You should have asked me. No, but there was a tinfoil hat mm-hmm. inside inside the blackmail box, and there's bottles of booze and some star kissed uh, tuna for Charlie the <laughs> star kissed. Yeah, for Charlie the tuna, and you know cigarettes, pencils, bottle caps, and all that kind of stuff. But people leave notes for the aliens, which is really interesting. And uh, this one is from. <laughs> So I, I took a picture of someone's note. It says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Alien, I'm Cheryl, and I'm with my friend Suzanne, sometimes known as Thelma and Louise, or Sweet and Salty. Loved our visit. Sorry we missed you. Lots of love. <laughs> so that's cool. You know, like people people aren't taking it overly serious. They're just like, okay, it's Area 51. We know that. Weird stuff has happened there, and it's sort of a black bag area for the United States Air Force, which is true. That is actually a true thing, that they do more secretive experiments out mm-hmm. there in the desert with flying things. So that is true. They admitted to that in 2013, that they do black bag things out there. But since then, people have been traveling or for years, people have been traveling to Area 51. Mm. And so why why shouldn't we do it? So our next stop were the signs. There was the signs for Rachel Nevada. Mm-hmm. Stop took our pictures there. The signs for the extraterrestrial highway. Again, everything is just covered in stickers. Yeah. And I don't know why you didn't think of using one of our stickers. Well, I don't know. It's like, I was just all disappointed. I was like, oh, it's graffiti. It's not, though, because <laughs> everybody's doing it. That's true. We're not breaking the law. And so we get to Rachel, and the first place that we went is the little alien, alien. <laughs> and it's like a little bar, cafe, diner. It is exactly what I thought it would be. Okay, now describe it for people. So after leaving Vegas, mm-hmm. you want something real. Something real, something Vegas is simple. very plastic Feeling, right. right it's over yeah. it's overproduced mm-hmm. so this is like a little cafe like it's literally a crappy little diner yeah. with mediocre food coffee was lukewarm sort of you know nice enough but surly you know bartender yeah and they took like forever to bring us our pie the pie took like half an hour yeah and like it's it's not overproduced you know it, no. it has like a a truck holding a holding a fake um a, a fake uh, UFO, UFO on the front yeah. and it's mm-hmm. just not overdone and it's kind of no. cheesy but real you know yeah. that's why yeah. I liked it yeah I loved it and I got some uh some really cool little trinkets there I got some pins <laughs> so, some so I was sitting down I was starving ordering food I look over and Mike's like an armful of, of like the, the, the tchotchke that they're selling there like alien mugs and dirt and t-shirts and cups. yeah I got I got the area 51 dirt I got a hat that says area 51 I got a shirt that says area and I was 51. like Mike I could have like gone outside and just grabbed some sand off the ground i don't care (laughs) i I want stuff that is branded area 51 it was fantastic and and so i did that we we did that but afterward we weren't sure if that was going to be the end of our trip or not and i got a feeling i got the sense from you you were done no like i i said oh well i'd like to go to the back gate Mm mm-hmm and you, I, I just got the sense from you, like, mm, I kind of don't want to go. Well, I didn't know how far it was. So I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was. We already ran out of gas, you know? <laughs> no, we, yeah, we had a full tank of gas by this time. 
So what I did was I just decided I'm going to go to the next sort of little store here. And it's just a tiny little storefront full of things, again, tchotchke alien-related things, called the Alien Cowpoke. And the lady in there was really nice. Uh, and I said, I'm going to ask you a question you probably get asked all the time. How do you get to the back gate of Area 51? Because honestly, on the maps... That you see, no, it's like shitty drawings from uh, like Microsoft Paint. Yeah. And so I'm actually going to probably create a map to Area 51 and put it on our website and get in big trouble for it. List. Yeah, I, I don't care if I'm on a list. I honestly don't. <laughs> but um, yeah, so she said, well, you go out this road and you turn right on uh, 375, the extraterrestrial highway. Mm -hmm. You drive a mile from here and you see a stop sign. Okay, on the right. Take that, take that right and drive for 10 miles down this dirt road. Mm -hmm and you'll get to the back gate of Area 51. And I was just like, so it's that simple? Yeah. It was, you know, it's that easy to find? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just do that. And I was thinking, okay, so I'm trusting a local mm -hmm. with directions. My cousin and I, uh, we gave somebody crappy directions one time. Person from- You can't uh, get there from here. No, what happened was uh, this person was in Bridgewater in, in July. You're evil. I didn't do it. My cousin okay. did it. So this person came to Bridgewater in July. They're from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They had skis on the top of their car. They've come to Canada to go skiing in July. Mm. And they're in Nova Scotia. That's hilarious. And so my cousin, you know, they, they pull over and they say, hey, where's the ski hill from here? And my cousin gave them directions, says, okay, get on this highway heading north and just drive as far north as you can possibly go. <laughs> so he told, like directed them to the 103. Keep going. And just keep going north. Eventually they'd run into snow. No, what they would run into is Cape Breton. Oh. <laughs> oh, well. If you did that in Ontario, just north, you actually would eventually run into permafrost at least. Yeah, yeah. at some point. <laughs> like three days later. So... We drove down this uh, dirt road, and you're, it, was, it wasn't too badly maintained. It was a pretty good dirt road. Um, but at one point, closer to the installation, probably after about eight miles, it's paved again. Yeah. With, but the paved road was shittier than the yeah, dirt road. Yeah, potholes. And yeah. ladies and gentlemen, Mike doesn't care about potholes. No, I just car. smash like into full them. blast through them. I'm like bashing my head on the roof of the car. I did not rent from Enterprise Rent a Car. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so we just, you know, plowed through. I did actually avoid some of them after the hitting the first one. Yep. But uh, <laughs> so we drive up to the back gate, and here it is, this military installation, just like you would think, with uh, razor wire and chain link fence and all these signs all over the place and video cameras on these tall uh, things and, and, and uh, a gate, a double gate. Yeah. So you have to go through one gate, talk to somebody, and then go through another gate before you're actually in the installation. So if you're thinking about storming Area 51, that's probably not going to go so well for you. But uh, I decided that I am just going to walk right up to the fence. And um, <laughs> so... Matthew kind of hung back a little bit. Which is weird, considering I like to pull up to the back gate. <sighs> anyway, 
And so the I took a picture of myself in wearing the Area 51 warning restricted area deadly force authorized hat. Super tourist. Super tourist. Like I wanted to do that. And it says warning military installation off limits to unauthorized personnel. And it gives like a whole bunch of stuff and the punishment up to one year imprisonment and $5,000 fine. And then somebody put like a little UFO sticker on that sign. <laughs> and then there's a sign right by the gate that says, warning, U.S. Air Force installation. It is unlawful to enter this area without permission of the installation commander. While on the installation, all personnel on the property under their control are subject to search. Warning, no trespassing. Maximum punishment, $1,000 fine, six months imprisonment, or both strictly enforced. And then photography in this area is, <laughs> photography of this area is prohibited. So what did I do? I took a picture. So Mike's right up there. Yeah. <laughs> taking photos. Yep. And what happened, Mike? I set off the alarm. <laughs> no, no, seriously, guys, no shit. So I thought Mike was going to shit himself. <laughs> he, he skittled away from there. We jumped into the rental car and, like, took off. We didn't speed off, but we, we drove We drove away. a little bit faster than the Quickly. way in. <laughs> yeah. and, and people have said, Mike, you're going to be on a list. And honestly, I don't care. I really don't care because I'm no, I don't do anything. Oh, it just makes your life more interesting. Yeah, it's like, if I'm on a list, great. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, you're that guy who set off the alarm Woo! at Area 51. I think everybody gets that if they're too close, because I've seen some videos yeah. of other people doing that. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I set off the alarm at Area 51. Bucket list item checked off. Ding. You know, my friend Lanning, mm -hmm. he lives on the island now. He used to live here in Vancouver. Yep. He spent 18 days there um, doing his U.S. military uh, desert training. Oh, wow. And he said he kept his eyes open for spacecrafts, but he didn't see anything. Didn't see anything yep. at all. But oh, well. So that is it for your very, for your dark poutine bonus episode on UFOs, listener encounters, and our trip to Area 51. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. And I know Matthew would say, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.